Welcome to Mission Driven, a conversation about how startups leverage their social mission as competitive advantage. Mission Driven is hosted by Better Ventures, a seed stage venture fund in Oakland, California, backing entrepreneurs using science and technology to address the world's biggest challenges. You can find us on the web at better.bc and on Twitter at Better Ventures. I'm Rick Moss from Better Ventures, and I'm here today with Erica Mackey, founder and CEO of My Village. Anyone who's a parent knows this, but finding good, high-quality childcare at a reasonable price is extremely challenging. It can take months or even years to get your child into a certain provider. Often you have to sign up before the child is even born, and the cost can be prohibitive for many people. There was an article in The Atlantic recently that said that paying for childcare for a year costs the same as buying a Hyundai Elantra just for one year. And so this was the core that if we can create this peer community of phenomenal educators who we can help curate and support to share learnings and create this really dynamic, robust system of best practices that are organically shared and supported, then we can start to really solve that isolation challenge. And that's that sentiment that goes back to we raise each other, where it is really about overcoming isolation for young families, for educators, for us as a society, which is so core to so many other societal challenges we have. In addition to the more formal childcare industry, there's a significant relatively informal industry out there of providers who operate out of their homes. And what My Village is doing is helping to formalize and improve this industry with curriculum, with nutrition planning, with all sorts of technology and operating support like marketing and calendaring and communications and payments. And we love it. We're investors in the company. It's just brimming with the potential for societal impact because it's a huge business opportunity. It's creating work opportunity for providers. It's helping families who are often struggling to help ends meet. And it's enriching kids' lives and giving them the crucial start they need in life. We led the company's pre-seed round. They've now raised nearly $6 million. The latest round was led by Acumen Americas. They will be going out for a Series A soon, which may have happened by the time this airs. And uh, it's a white hot category. Erica went to UCLA, holds an MBA from Oxford University. She grew up in Huntington Beach, California, and later grew up in Durban, South Africa. The company is based in Bozeman, Montana, one of the fastest growing cities in the U.S. She leads a team of over 30 people, serving over 100 childcare programs and hundreds of kids. The company is growing like a weed. It's a very exciting time. And we're happy to have you here today, Erica. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Did I hear you are expecting your third little one? <laughs> yeah, I got to keep relevant in this space. So third, third little girl on the way. All right. All right. We met two years ago, I think. I heard from another investor that you had left Zola. At the time, it was called Off-Grid Electric. And when we heard that, we were eager to get in touch right away. Do you want to talk about My Village, you know, its origin story? What is it? How does it work? How did this all come about? Sure. Well, you did a great job summarizing the high level of how it works, but I'll talk a bit about how we got started. I spent 12 years actually in East Africa, first working in public health, but then building out a business in the off-grid energy space, like you mentioned, Off-Grid Electric. And I had now my oldest is about to turn four. And so I landed back with her at six weeks in Africa, trying to be a working mom <laughs> on the road. We were launching West Africa. So I was between East and West Africa. We had strategic partners in Europe. Tesla also was an investor, so strategics in the Bay. So I was basically on the road. 
my poor at the t- you know couple month old at the time before she turned one she was in 13 countries <laughs> we were all over the place but it was this really incredible experience and vantage point to land in all these capital cities in all these different cultures try to be a working mom find care that i could be excited about and feel comfortable with peace of mind putting my baby in while i went to work and what was just mind blowing was it was challenging everywhere because I wasn't from many of those places. I just had the people I was meeting and the internet to find care. And it was hard everywhere. Really nowhere had it figured out. And so as an entrepreneur, that really started to pull the thread where at first I logged it as this is more challenging than I expected. And how come I didn't know that before I was a parent? That launched me back into conversations with first peers in the US. And then an obsession with talking to hundreds and hundreds of parents across all different segments and backgrounds, and really found out that basically, like you said, unless you get on a wait list before you start thinking about conceiving, you have to compromise in quality, affordability, or availability. And if the more your resources are constrained, the bigger the compromises get. And that just made me incredibly frustrated. So originating from my own personal experience, started digging more and more. And it felt like if I didn't get started on this colossal problem, my kids would never experience the fruits of my efforts. And so it was a really hard decision. But I moved back from Africa, back to the US, a place where I hadn't lived in over a decade to start this business and really start to tackle this crisis in a place where one out of three kids gets a quality license spots and those other three kids do not have access to quality care in the zero to five age range. Can you say a bit about the model? Yeah, absolutely. So the overall insight at the end of the day is as parents or as entrepreneurs, as working families, we have to wear a ton of hats and we have to be a lot of things to our kids, to our peers, to our partners. And it's challenging and we were never meant to do this all on our own. And so where our society has evolved over the last handful of years has been more and more isolation and disconnection and lack of support in our immediate community. And so that concept, it takes a village, was really our originating motivation where how do we figure out how to leverage a community and a support system in the ways that humans have been doing for hundreds and hundreds of years, where there's this massive informal community of families who are taking care of each other but without the resources, they're having to be entrepreneurs and small business owners for the first time. They're doing it in really suboptimal ways that ultimately end up, they shut their doors or they even really have a chance to succeed. And so that's what motivated us to try to figure out how do we leverage our business background and our business skills to support first-time entrepreneurs in most cases, open up home-based Healthcare and preschool businesses that our programs have either six or 12 kids. And if they have 12 kids, they obviously have an employee. So the ratios remain small in each program. And they open their doors, mixed ages, and support those children in the most formative years of their lives. Mm-hmm. And can you say just a little bit about Zola before we move on? Because I think it's quite a significant enterprise and your your experience there is really significant. Sure. So, I mean, and this was really interesting because Zola was born out of a concept. I was working in public health and I was spending a lot of time with families who were telling me, you know, health's important, but actually what keeps me up at night is the fact that I'm really stunting the opportunities for my children because we don't have access to electricity. I have to walk five miles to charge a phone or connect them with the outside world. That's where I get my parental guilt from. 
And so I founded this company with two partners where it's basically was trying to right the wrong that some of the poorest people on the planet are paying the most for the dirtiest energy. And we scaled that business. I was COO and co-founder of that business and scaled it from PowerPoint presentation and concept to over a thousand full-time employees, multiple thousand sales force across five countries. We raised... uh, Now it's been about $250 for that business. And we install about 10,000 houses a month across those countries. Wow. Wow. And I read somewhere that something like a billion to 2 billion people have either no access to energy or low access to energy. And you guys are addressing that. Yeah. Incredible. All right. So back to my village. We're trying to get at the heart of how a social mission can be a competitive advantage for an entrepreneur. So let's dig into a couple of examples. I think it's inescapable that you started this company partly because of your problem insider nature. Do you think that being a problem insider and having experienced the problem gives you any special passion for this? And then does that turn into competitive advantage and how? Yeah. So it's really hard as an entrepreneur to ignore an experience where you call for your own child to get a spot in a a known quality program and you hear back, I will never have a vacancy because parents plan their pregnancies around my openings. You're kidding. That is what I heard when I landed in Bozeman. (laughs) Holy cow. And Bozeman's not exactly New York City or something, is it? It's not New York City, no. You'd think you'd be able to find care. Yeah. And so coming from a place where it feels like you're failing as a parent before you even have a chance to start, it's a fire that ignites in you that's really hard to ignore. I think the, the competitive advantage of not only being motivated every day, you you know, and you're dropping your child off in care and and going through that journey and that, that parental experience, family experience yourself. I've found that I've made a lot of different decisions based on what kind of quality that I will and will not stand behind. And so when we look at the competitive space as well. I think that is a huge differentiator from the beginning. I was not going to ever build a national network of programs that I wouldn't be comfortable putting my own children in. And that has made us different business model decisions. For example, we didn't plan to franchise, but we ended up on a franchise path where we franchise people's living rooms, kitchens, and backyards because it is the only way that we can guarantee a threshold quality and actually provide the training and support needed to get there in a scalable model, which we learned (laughs) along this journey. One really important fork in the road that came from this place of a commitment to quality that I would imagine my own children being in. Two, like that sense of desperation and urgency. So our head of sales and marketing is actually in Oakland and we connected to her through you guys. She was in line and sent us photos at 4 a.m. at the elementary school in Oakland in line signing up for aftercare. She was looking at all these other families in line ahead and behind her who were camped out with tents and sleeping bags, thinking, look what people will do for like, the access to care. And so that you know gave us a great idea to launch a campaign that we rolled out across Colorado, literally saying, send us videos of what you would do for a year of free care. We had some phenomenal stories surface, but it was really an opportunity for us to get that sentiment of desperation across to lawmakers and and other decision makers across the state that this is actually a frenzy. I mean, it is a dire crisis right now. Mm. And then once you finally get in, you then have to pay pay for a Hyundai Elantra. And in your case, maybe three Hyundai Elantras every year. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. 
So, I mean, I think that fire to wake up every day absolutely comes from being an insider, but even more so, I think a commitment to the actual quality of experience that we're creating and uh, inability to waver on that, that is ultimately our differentiator and what's going to make us succeed. So it flows through you to the product. Every product decision. Yeah. And you think it wouldn't be like that if you weren't... Yeah. This, it had, didn't have the same connection. And our team, you know, it's not just myself and Beth, my co-founder, got a, about 30 full-time employees now. And we have over 50 kids. Wow. <laughs> so we are all in the thick of it. And it, you know, it, it translates to how the flow of our days, the rhythm of our days, the filter that we put on our decisions. And really, it would be impossible for us to deviate from the customer experience we want to create because we are poorly the customer. Did I hear you have a pilot site or a demo site in your office for some of those 50 kids? We do. We have, we call it the sandbox. It's our lab school that's literally in our office. So my kids go there and a few other employees and then some community members uh, around us, other kids go there too. So we get to hear the playground noise while we're doing conference calls. All right. So let's talk about any difference between My Village and, and Zola because you're experiencing the problem firsthand with My Village and I'm not sure if you were with Zola. Do you think that makes a difference? And is there a, a way to illustrate that? Yeah. So... In both cases, I specifically chose... I mean, Bozeman, Montana might not be the location that people would think put the first pin on the map when they were making a bet of where we were. But in both cases, I picked locations, uh, Rusha, Tanzania and Bozeman, Montana, where we could really be close to our core market segment. Um, so in the case of Zola, well, I wasn't the customer. I made sure to be very close to the customer. But even that it was very clear the product development process that we had to go through was very regimented oriented around process because at the end of the day, we went home and had electricity that was connected to the grid and backup systems. We weren't living off the grid by kerosene lanterns. And so no matter how many insights we collected, we never had the, the lifetime of living without electricity off the grid to understand also all the cultural dynamics that went into decision-making. So even pulling out ability and willingness to pay and creditworthiness and all these decisions that go into a prepaid solar model, you could gather the information through process, but ultimately none of it is intuitive, even though I've been there 12 years. Where I think on the flip side... I have you know, the huge opportunity uh, in this business to be the customer, but also have to be very careful that we still run a very regimented process because the a slippery slope of being the customer, you can make a lot of intuitive decisions, which ultimately are not robust <laughs> and can need to be validated. So I think while I wasn't the customer, it gave me at Zola, it gave me the, the muscle practice to really build process, to, which has now been strengthened incredibly by having the intuition align with process. So do you feel more driven at the end of the day in terms of when you hit a wall and you know almost ready to give up or whatever it might be? Do you think there's a difference in my village? It's hard to wake up with your two little bouncing girls. and Going on three. Exactly. And feel like I can't find a path through this roadblock or I don't have the will to find a path through this roadblock. So I would say that 6am reminder (laughs) 
um, uh, where your brain's turning on and, and they're there to tell you that it's an absolute imperative to keep going is something that, that is just not comparable. Right. And so in essence, failure is not an option. Not an option. Okay. Talk about bringing on talent, any challenges you've had with hiring people and what advantages you see in uh, pitching your mission. Sure. I think this is probably quite similar across most mission-driven companies. But at the end of the day, people want to feel like what they're doing resonates and is important to the world. And so there's so many compromises that team members will make to have exposure to that. And I think being authentic and true throughout every decision. So one of the first things we did was created our shared values as a company, our hiring, our performance reviews, our kudos that we give out is all organized around our shared values. One of the interesting pieces is this element of balance at my village is this sense of, we call it be the rock, that trust is built on promises we keep and we can only care for others if we take care of ourselves is our, our first value. And you know it resonates for our educators in our system or in our community. It re- resonates for our team and that we can bring our whole selves to work, that the mission that we're working on is so deeply rooted for all the families that our team members and educators are in our broader community. And we've done a lot of things that harnesses that, where, for example, most of our companies offline between 4 and 7, which is parent time, (laughs) where we're picking up, spending time with our kids. We have understanding where... If it's an emergency, then a phone call is made, but nobody's going to be checking Slack or text. Obviously, after kids go to bed, then we get back online if there's a need. So we really try to work our schedules around family schedules as one thing. So that's been a huge recruiting bonus. We've heard a lot of people say as well that in so many other roles, they've had to hide their personal requirements. So a dentist appointment for your kid or doctor's appointment. And in this environment, everybody is supporting each other. I can, like, kids are coming through the office as needed in transition time between school and aftercare or whatever. It's a much more fluid, bring your whole self to work perspective that wasn't, I mean, to be honest, was not the culture that I created at Zola because I wasn't personally in that space. And do you think that culture flows through into performance of employees? I have an example of every single employee. Uh, once a month or more often, when you can be your whole authentic self, you are really in a position to make sure that you're delivering what you're capable of. I would say the, the, like the stories that touch me the most are the ones where people are going above and beyond to make sure that an educator gets the answer they need or the support system they need. So an example, we've had some of our educator success team, most of the support that we do is virtual. But when somebody has a, a speed bump with an HOA or you know, it feels like life or death, this is somebody's very first business they're starting. They've, some, in many cases, you know, quit a job to become an entrepreneur for the first time. And they hit a roadblock. It feels like it's the end of the world. And we have our customer success officers who will show up at their house with a cup of coffee or on the weekend just to make sure that they have somebody that can give them a hug. And while that's obviously not scalable in, in most cases, we've, we've figured out ways that 
we've systematized that so that it works so well, that kind of human connection that we built what good looks like from an interaction perspective in, in the beginning, that now we capture it in Salesforce. So we know everyone's favorite candy bar. We know everyone's how they like their coffee. We know all these things. So when somebody has a hard time in their personal life, for example, we can send them a gift certificate to their favorite restaurant. And those things, well, you know, they don't cost the company a ton. They go such a long way for somebody who, especially on our educator side, who have been givers their whole life and never received. And do you think that special care coming from your success team is, is partly coming from their commitment to this, this mission? I mean, would they be doing this if they weren't working for My Village? I absolutely believe that. I believe that it's the also the framework that we've created for them to work within. So because it's part of our value to truly know each other, who we are, our whole selves, and embrace the journey, you know, our joy is found in doing, not just finishing and really understanding each other along the way. We role model that as executives and as a team. And that translates to interactions with our customers on a daily basis. We had a, one of our other founders on a previous episode, Mina Sankaran from Kidos, the water company. And she was talking about how at some point, because you're so committed to your mission, it, it stops becoming a job and it really just becomes your life. Do you feel that way? And do you think that's part of what's helping the culture to, for people to do these things that they, they don't think of it as, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work harder because it's going to get me promoted. I'm going to go deliver this coffee to a air provider. They're thinking, this is what I do. Absolutely. And I think like, I mean, a lot of that comes from how the company engages as the management team and, and all the way through the entire organization. I'm not proud of this statement, but my husband once told me he thought my only hobby was creating <laughs> was creating my businesses, <laughs> which, which I think is actually not a compliment. But at the end of the day, I think what it really says is that that blend between Work and personal has always been so blurry for me. And it's not about the pat on the back that you're going to get or the raise that you're going to get or whatever it is. It's, it's really about living it, breathing it, being it because you care so deeply about its success. And I think that's exactly... That sentiment is exactly right. It is your life and being authentic and bringing your whole self, your whole life to the table also allows us to put our unique fingerprint which gives us a lot of pride in giving it 100%. So you know, an example of how we try to do that with our team members. So we have our shared values, but then we also do a values exercise with all of our, our team when they come on, where we narrow down to one value word that's important to them as an individual. And we bang out a little charm that has that word on it and share it more broadly with the team. We do it with our educators as well. So we really try to hold space for that single value for the individual. And I think that that has you know is another example of ways that it translates into that customer success officer going to an educator and caring about the individual and that especially in this space where it's so transactional with regulatory bodies that engage with early childhood educators who don't often have this professional experience or interaction with families that nobody ever asks them what's important to them as an individual and and so I think that culture that we've created, it's not about scripting your perfect customer service call. It's about really, truly creating space for individuals to care about individuals. 
That's amazing. Yeah, and I, I kind of feel sorry for the company that has to compete against that, <laughs> which I think is which I think is what we're getting at here. You mentioned brand. Let's let's dig into that a little bit more. You have recently updated your brand significantly. So I know it's top of mind. Do you want to talk about how social mission plays into your brand and how do you think that just like these other issues, you know, flows through into to value for customers and enables you to to be a stronger competitor? Yeah. So one of the interesting learnings we had, we spent a lot of time just from a messaging perspective, uh, getting over a regulatory hurdle with franchising that you can talk about earnings. So you have to have a certain amount of history and audited history because you can't oversell a franchise that all the regulations are built so that you don't do that. And so we finally got over this earnings communication hurdle. We went out and we A-B tested messaging one of them was you can earn twice as much as an elementary school teacher. And the other one said, your Timberline community needs you. And we had a 10x response on the community needs you message. And so it was very clear to us that it's this community go-getter. Well, it's like financial, uh, they have to hurdle you know, making finances work for their family. However, it, that is not the motivation. It's definitely a multi-currency uh, motivation for our educators to do it, as well as um, for our families and care to want to be a part of uh, this movement and something that that is much bigger than that individual house that they're they're going to on on a daily basis. And so this sense of community and this sense of connection came through very clearly in all of the brand work that we did, and also the sense of authenticity around moms on a mission. I've told my story, but. But myself and Beth, we've lived it, breathed it. We are trying to solve it in a way that that is something that we would be thrilled to participate in. And we will never compromise in our quality decisions because of that. And I think that level of authenticity is something that is incredibly compelling. So as we started going through through all this, where we ended up was really this concept. It is a category creator. You've got centers, you've got home-based options, whether it be formal or informal, but it's so fragmented. Every single home-based provider is doing it the first time for themselves as an individual small business. And then you've got individualized care nannies and sitters. At the end of the day, what we're creating is, is what we are calling the new home for exceptional care. And so it's really about this national community access to world-class experts, a support system, but incredibly localized where each business is rooted in a neighborhood and has the feel of their local community, but the, the quality support and expectation of this global standard. And so the concept that we're, we're orienting around is we raise each other, where every single person who touches our business, whether it be a child, a parent, an educator, a team member is better off because of that touch point. And that's really you know, all of our interaction design is how do we constantly add value at each interaction where um, we're able to raise each other up in that way. And does that message apply to both the, the, uh, the caregiver business owners as well as the parents and families that you're serving? Yeah. So I talked in the beginning about you know, the personal journey of understanding the, the parent pain points. But my mind went very quickly to, okay, if it's not working for parents, the system must be working for somebody. <laughs> like there is a, in the formal system, there's $50 billion spent every year on 15 million kids in the United States. There's probably a shadow market of another $150 billion 
of parents who are paying, you know, this kind of piecemeal system behind the scenes. So it's a gigantic market, tons of money changing hands. Like somebody has to be a winner in this system. And so we started talking to educators across all the different categories that I talked about earlier. And what we found was, one, there was a mind-blowing stat that 20% of the industry turns out annually. So it completely turns over every five years. From a systems level is so... This is of providers. And so just as somebody, if you can imagine how long it takes to become a parent who feels like you really nailed and got your sea legs. It's you know true with early educators. It takes time to become a seasoned educator. And when you look at that stat, it's basically as soon as they're getting good at their job and getting the experience under their belt, they're closing their doors and going on to work in retail, like in a totally different industry. That was incredibly frustrating for me as you just look at the inefficiencies of the system. So I dug into why is that happening? And sure, the financial pieces, they weren't making enough money were one. So that, you know, all the business support and making sure that we're able to keep occupancy high and make the business economics work is one solution. But what was fascinating, the statement that I heard most often was, my four walls feel like they're closing in on me. This sense of isolation, you know, you spend all day, every day with zero to five-year-olds. And if you're not in a professional peer community where you can share experiences and learnings, you feel more isolated. But also if your interactions with families, you're not respected or treated like a professional, you you feel even more isolated and so from your community. And so this was the core really and where it came back to, it truly does take a village, the core that if we can create this peer community of phenomenal educators who we can help curate and support to share learnings and create this really dynamic, robust, system of best practices that are organically shared and supported, then we can start to really solve that isolation challenge. And that's that sentiment that goes back to we raise each other, where it is really about overcoming isolation for young families, for educators, for us as a society, which is so core to so many other societal challenges we have. What I'm hearing sounds a little similar to the way you described your team and the culture, it seems like in the way you're building the brand and communicating with providers and with parents, you're also kind of pulling them into this mission and they start to see themselves as not just a care provider trying to earn money, but someone who's helping their community. Yeah, I mean, it's fundamentally built into the design of this model. People are opening their front doors of their home. Their children live there, their partners live there. They're opening their own personal space to share it with 6 to 12 other families from 8 to 6 p.m. at least 5 days a week. It is such a personal, professional blur that that's the starting point. And so for us, it's really about how do we optimize that in a way that makes that a competitive advantage rather than a disadvantage to start. Right. So you think these care providers will provide better care, just like your customer support team, because they are kind of in on this and they're participating in something special. Absolutely. And it translates to the quality of care as well. I mean, we see children who are in comfortable environments that mimic what family dynamics are, where they are small group sizes and they're really able to be nurtured with continuity of care from zero to five. They do better. They perform better in kindergarten. There's tons and tons of research for that out there. That experience hasn't before. It's been so fragmented. And only about 10% of the home-based programs that 
exist in the US as a starting point are proven quality. And so for us, it's about really harnessing those assets that are built into this model and then removing all those pain points for educators that make them feel isolated, that make it challenging to run a business for the first time and connecting them to resources that they never have access to. As we say, it takes my village. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about where my village is now and where you see the company seven or 10 years down the road. Yeah. So we have had a really great last year and are launching this year with, I think, super clear domination plans. But we have over 100 educators now between Montana and Colorado, which we're often posed the question, why these markets to start? And for us, this was really about from the beginning about tackling the broad middle segment, the average American family. And so we left the coast to do that and have been thrilled by not only the impact it has had on our product and our understanding, but but our ability to really stick true to the market segment that we're committed to from the beginning. So we've learned a lot about our saturation model over this last year. And we are not even close to saturating those markets. One of the big learnings that we've had is now that we're creating scalable quality, businesses are very much valuing the offering that we're, that we're putting forward. So we've started some really exciting business partnerships where the R fee is paid for by the business to create preferential placements for their employees. Because obviously, that's a huge challenge is finding quality care coming back from maternity leave. And it doesn't make sense for most businesses to create on-site care. And even if they wanted to pay for quality care for their employees, there isn't availability. So we've been working with some exciting partnerships, one being Bozeman Health, so the largest employer in Bozeman, have just their employees that have children in the zero to five age range are over a thousand employees. And so we're creating programs specifically for businesses, which is really exciting. We always knew, and we've seen this in last year, that demand is really not the issue. Our NPS on the parent side maintains in the high 80s, low 90s. So world-class parents are doing backflips for our experience, which we are incredibly proud. This next year for us is really about saturating and we've started to test out our expansion model. So we've picked a few locations that we're going to start preparing for in the latter part of this year. And when you think seven or 10 years down the road, your kids are teenagers, how do you see the company then? Well, depending on how fast I keep creating children, they might not all be teenagers. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, this is a fundamental problem in every single community. And that's something we've learned about. We've got programs that run in rural towns where there's less than a thousand people running out of sometimes double wide trailers because that's the community dynamic that's there all the way through to really expensive suburbs in Denver. And so this is for us is really about creating the national strength of community that is oriented around the same shared values that is providing quality of care that that is mind-blowing for families. And I think if we can maintain this NPS of, of families that we can prove that. And this isn't just a US problem. So With our background in international, obviously, we have eyes on trying to understand exactly how that translates into other cultures. And then we also see a huge opportunity. We see this as a three-sided marketplace. It's not just about family demand and educator supply. Our supply is actually housing as well, as people are running their programs out of their homes. And for a lot of cases, this is the first time that their home becomes a revenue-generating asset. 
So similar to Uber or Lyft, where your car becomes a revenue generating asset and you have opportunities to improve the type of car that you can drive because you're running this business from it. We are starting to play with exactly how do we build this three-sided marketplace with housing opportunities and get people with their first foot on that rung to get to home ownership. Wow, that's incredible. All right, so as we wrap up here, talk about your personal mission. If I were to say if Erica is on a mission to, what would it be? So while I've had this windy road between Orange County to Durban, South Africa, to working in public health, to working in energy access, to now early childhood, the theme that runs through it is really this correcting the sense of injustice. So whether it was the poorest people paying the most for the dirtiest energy options, or in this case, the compromises that families with limited resources have to make, and that feeling that they have in dropping their child off in a place that they don't feel comfortable at every morning. It's that correcting that sense of injustice that drives me. I would say that in a very personal way now as a mother, role modeling being a problem solver, which is really what I think of as an entrepreneur to my girls is incredibly important. And building something that they can benefit from is truly what drives me and gets me up every day. All right. Erica Mackey, founder and CEO of My Village, on a mission to correct the injustices in childcare and being a role model for her girls as a problem solver. Thanks, Erica. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for listening to Mission Driven. To find out more about Better Ventures, visit us at better.bc or on Twitter at Better Ventures.